Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. You remember that uh, as we looked at the, the, the first half of chapter 16, that as David has passed the summit, he is uh, met by Ziba, uh, who uh, tells him about Mephibosheth, and then uh, Shimei, Uh, who's out there as well, cursing David, throwing rocks at David. But now we come back to Jerusalem. We come back to that time in Jerusalem. And we we know little bits about this story before. Um, In chapter 15, uh, Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. And then now it's chapter 16 and verse uh, 15 and 16. We come back to this scene, uh, jumping back with Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel was with him. And then Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom. Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. So we're jumping back and forth between these two uh, periods of time. And it, it makes it difficult the way that we go through this study. And the reason it makes it difficult is this has been a long time ago where we read that section of text back in chapter 15 where we're reminded of what's happening and obviously I do this these type of lessons with uh, focusing on a small amount of text and even going to Psalm 3 and then Psalm uh, 63 and looking at those Psalms uh, it's important for us to be able to see them Uh, so I have no regrets about that so therefore we need to come back and go over and help us remember uh, who are these key people in this text that we're looking at tonight. And we see three main people here in this uh, as we sweep back to Jerusalem. Absalom, we know well, the son of David. Uh, he has forced his way to the throne. Uh, now he's come in and he's taken over his dad's city. He's taken it over. He's marched in. Uh, remember what David said right at the back of chapter 15 uh, when he heard this in, in the latter half of 15 actually when uh, when the king went out and what he was going to do that um, that he's going to strike us, overtake us quickly, bring us down to ruin, strike the city with the edge of the sword. This is what Absalom had come to do. Not only Absalom was there, but uh, in verse 15, we're reminded of Ahithophel. Ahithophel comes in and uh, he's the chief advisor to David uh, underneath David's administration. Uh, and now he's turned and sided with Absalom right at the very, uh, at this moment. And we remember uh, that uh, once David heard this, uh, he prayed in chapter 15 as well, in verse 31, when David heard that Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom, David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now, we find out in this passage that this is actually quite a tall uh, order to ask. It was, it was quite a big thing for this to be able to happen because we find out in verse 23 that in those days the council of Ahithophel was as if one consulted with the word of God. And so was all the council of Ahithophel esteemed by both David and by Absalom. We understand the, the mammoth task of that prayer which David prayed as he heard about uh, Ahithophel coming and joining his uh, rebellious conspiratory son in taking over the throne, we find out that Ahithophel's counsel was like someone coming and saying, this is what the word of God says. Now that's a tall order to ask that uh, it would be foolishness. 
But we see this prayer is prayed, but we also saw him do something as well. Not only did he pray this prayer, after praying this prayer, he also set some pieces into motion. But if you return to the city, say to Absalom, I will be your servant. This is David talking to Hushai. Um, And I will be your servant, O king. As I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. And then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. He prayed the prayer that his, his counsel would be seen as foolishness. And then he comes in and he sets up the, the pieces for that to be able to help. Are not Zadok and Abathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them. Ahim as and Zadok's son and Jonathan Abathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything that you hear. So we see this plan through prayer. It begins in prayer. But then we also see his practical working out of this prayer. That We have five people in Jerusalem at this point on David's side. All the rest have fled and left with David. But Hushai, Zadok, Abathar, Ahimaaz, and Jonathan. All these people are left there, and David sees this as a way for this to be able to bring down. Now, this story, I believe, is a one long story, right from 16, verse 15, right to 17, verse 23. Our plan, or, or my plan, I guess, is to try and see a major part of these texts tonight as we move. The difficult part of this passage is not so much the content, but really the arrangement that we find it in. You know, even if you look at this with me, you see verses 15 to 19, the first interactions between Hushai and Absalom. Then you have verses 20 to 17, verse 4. You have the counsel of Ahithophel to Absalom. And then verses 5 to 14, you have the counsel of Hushai to Absalom. Then you have verses 15 to 20, the telling of David. The 21 to 22, David listening. Verse 23, that Ahithophel hangs himself. All of this is one story that we see in one piece. It's, it's like a game of tennis, this back and forth, all telling this one major big story. Now, how do you then do you break this passage up? I think there's one thread throughout all these passages and these sections that appears every time. And that is the character or the person of Ahithophel. And maybe not even so much Ahithophel as a person, but so much his counsel that takes a key part in all of those pieces. It's not that Ahithophel, the person, is in each of those key parts. It's his counsel that is, is almost takes on this, this major role, that tied this thread that ties this whole story together. You notice that in Absalom asked for Ahithophel to do what in verse 20? In verse 20, he says that, give your counsel, what shall we do? Even the counsel of Hushai is compared then back to the counsel of Ahithophel. It's comparative back to something. The messengers are told what as they go and tell David something. They're told about uh, Ahithophel's counsel. And then you see the message in verse 21 as David listens. Ahithophel has counseled against you. And lastly, it's the lack of following the counsel of Ahithophel that leads to Ahithophel's death. 
All of these things, I think, ties it all back together, which brings us back to that verse in 15, chapter 15, in verse 32. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him in his coat and dirt on his head. So we see that this is the beginning where then David finds out about his fell turning and joining with, um, with Absalom. So what I'm going to try and do is we're going to read the whole passage together, a little bit different than how we normally do it on a Wednesday night. I'm going to read the whole passage, but as I read this, I want you to focus on Ahithophel's counsel, because that's what we're really going to focus on in this passage, because I think that's the key thread that follows through. So we're going to read this, and then we're going to break it down uh, bit by bit. So let me read this, and you can try and read that or look at it in your Bible. That's very small. Uh, so let me read uh, now Second uh, Samuel verse, chapter 16, verse 15 to 17, verse 14. Now Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king. Long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, he will, I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel of Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose twelve thousand men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring back all, bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also. And let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you, shall, you speak. And Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and they are also enraged, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. 
Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel would bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of uh, Ahitophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahitophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. <clears throat> now, because I've read such a large portion, we'll not be able to time as we normally do, to go through in this great detail. So as I skip over certain um, sections, we'll come back to them. Uh, Next week, we'll be looking at connections and and different parts of how this whole story, as I said, it really connects all of this right back even to chapter, verse 23, where we didn't get to tonight. Um, But I want to focus on a question tonight, and that is, How does God answer prayer? Now, out of all the passages of Scripture, this might seem like a strange place to answer this question, but I think it is very, uh, uh, very important because this is when David hears about this, what he first does before he plans anything, he turns to the Lord in verse 31 of chapter 15. O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And what ends up happening, right at that last verse that we just read in in verse 14 of chapter 17, And all the men of Israel and Absalom said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Now we have can see, even these two passages, why the author has spent so much time telling this story. Often, you can find out the important parts of the Bible by what the author focuses on and why he tells particular stories. Why does he take, you know, close to two chapters, in end of chapter 15 to 16 to 17, uh, almost all of 17, talking about this particular issue. Why do they focus on them? And you can understand, if you understand these two bookmarks of these passages, 15 verse 37 and then 17 verse 14, you see why the author might have spent so much time. That David prays, the Lord answers, but the Lord answers his prayer according to the Lord's purposes. 
Hushai comes to Jerusalem. He meets with Absalom. He pledges allegiance to Absalom. And Absalom then asks for Ahithophel's advice. Ahithophel gives two pieces of advice to, um, to David at this point. The first piece is in verses 20 to uh, verse um, his advice is verse 20 to 17, verse 4. And the first is that Absalom should take ten of the concubines that David left to be able to look after the house as he left uh, to go into the wilderness, to set up a tent on top of the roof that he should be able to sleep with those concubines. Now, without spending a lot of time on this, I, you know, it's awkward to be able to talk about this horrendous deed, but we should note, notice a couple of things in this passage that this act first has cultural significance. That once the head of a household dies, what the head of the household then does is he leaves his house and everybody in it to be cared for by that person. He gets the house and most of the inheritance passed to that firstborn person. The reason they get most of the inheritance is because they then need to care for everyone else in the family. If there's any widows to be looked after, they're to be looked after by that person who gets that inheritance. So what you would inherit is not only widows that are left, but also concubines. Now in some cases, people just think of concubines as, as sex slaves. Now that can be the case, it's not always the case. It could be that they, they take people into their house and they're more managers of household. And you can kind of see that here with David as well. He leaves these people, these concubines, these women to manage the house. You would imagine that David would have quite a big house to manage. And he leaves it to these 10 women who obviously have some understanding of the function of the house. That they're more managers. Now that's not to neglect that there's some aspects of that they're demised as some sexual figures. But I think if you just focus on that, it can have quite a... Uh, you're not looking at the whole picture. So here, Absalom, and what he is doing now in this action, is seeking to be able to say, David is dead. These concubines are mine. That he is claiming his inheritance now. Now you see this in Genesis um, with uh, Reuben, uh, I believe it is, Reuben or Simeon, when he um, does this to his father Jacob. But what he is saying in this action is, you are dead to me. But before we see that cultural deed, we need to understand that this is what God had said would happen. This great passage that we come back to, it's great not because of what happens in it, but it helps us understand what is unraveled in the following chapters. That I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. We've seen this. The evil has come from Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Now, Absalom by no means can get to heaven and say, well, you made me do this. He is clearly the one who is held responsible throughout all of these verses. 
that he follows Ahithophel's advice. Next, Ahithophel gives advice, and he says, I'm not following that advice. So we see that at work here. But then Ahithophel gives this second piece of advice, and this seems to be the key thing that focuses on the rest of this in verses 1 to 4. He tells Absalom that if you give me 12,000 men, I will solve this problem for you. You don't need to worry about a thing. Give me 12,000 men, I'll take care of it. He explains that the men of David are tired, they're discouraged. Basically, my plan is that I'm going to go kill one man, David. After I kill him, I'm going to bring everyone back. Seems like a, a, a simple thing. He said, Absalom, you only care for one thing. You only want the crown that's on your dad's head. Let me go get that crown for you. Let me strike down the king, he says. And it seems like a good plan. We see that it's a good plan because what we have is that all in the eyes of El, uh, Absalom, in the eyes of all the elders of Israel, it seems like a good plan. It seemed right in their eyes. Now again, remember where this is set. Right after Judges, right at the end of Judges, verse, um, the very last verse, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what is right in his own eyes. And we're told that this is what it seemed, that, that, um, that Ahithophel's advice seemed like a hit. Everyone was blown away by it. Yeah, let's, let's get 12,000 men. However, now it's Hushai's time to talk. Now again, remember that this is an answer to David's prayer. That Hushai is only there because David has sent him. But he starts and says, This time the counsel of Ahithophel has given you is not good. And he unpacks why he thinks it's not a very good idea. His main arguments set around that they're like bear robbed of her cubs. And Hiddfell says they're tired, they're exhausted, or they're, they're angry. They're enraged. Not only that, but David is a mighty man. He repeats this several times. You think you're just going to march in there and be able to find David and kill David with 12,000 men, and this is David we're talking about. David who they sing about, right? Saul, we've, he's killed thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And you think 12,000 men is just going to march in and find David? He's a mighty man of war. Not only he's a mighty man of war, he's experienced. To be a mighty man of war, war and be young is one thing. To be a mighty man of war and old is another thing, right? It means you've got to live through a lot of battles, survived a lot of things. Not only that, he knows all the plans and tactics. He's not going to be sleeping by himself. Remember, Saul is right in the middle of the camp. And David just marches in, finds Saul's stuff, and marches out. And David's not like that. David knows where to sleep. He's not going to be sleeping in the middle. He's going to be way off in a, in a pit in a, somewhere else. Not only that, you think once you attack that everyone's just going to cave in and say, oh, it's fine, 
We'll follow you, Absalom. They followed David out there because they're loyal to David. And you think that these valiant men who are out there protecting David will just crumble with fear? He, he breaks down Ahithophel's arguments. And not only he breaks it down and says that's not a good idea, he then puts forward another idea. His argument is that you need a bigger army than 12,000 men. You're going to find someone to attack my da- your dad? You're going to need a nation. From Dan to Beersheba, you're going to need all of Israel to come up and challenge David, that mighty man of war. And then the way we're going to win is we're going to use that manpower. If they run into a city, we will take that city, we will chase them down. We will drag that city down into the valley. This is the only way you're going to defeat David. And they hear this plan, they hear the arguments, and they hear everything that's been laid out by Hushai. And they said, the counsel of Hushai, Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Now in all of this, how did God answer the prayer? That you see that God ordained all of this, the author says, to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. It wasn't that it was ordained by David to use God to ordain this. It was the Lord ordained all of this. That's when our confession says that he ordains everything that shall come to pass. But God answers his prayer not through magical means, no angels, no messengers, no burning bushes, no plagues. And we're told how God answers this prayer. And we would not know this unless the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us. That the counsel of Hushai is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. If they were just to end there, we would just think merely it's just happenstance. But here he says that the Lord had ordained it. But we're actually told that Ahithophel's advice is actually good advice. For the Lord ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. Here's Hushai saying the counsel is not good. But the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that it was good. But in all of this, the key is that the Lord ordained it. Now, when I was confronted with big questions of God's sovereignty, I, I, these big unraveling questions that you find one thing out and you've got to dig deeper, you've got more questions to be able to answer. And I eventually just got to a point where I said, okay, 
I'm going to stop reading the Bible and trying to answer my own senses and do gymnastics and turn to a particular verse and try and let that verse interpret all of my other understanding of these big questions. Because often that's what we do, right? We turn to a verse and we say, this is why this theology exists. Rather than saying, what does the whole Bible teach about this theology? We get stuck up on one word. Or ask questions that the Bible doesn't ask or try and understand from a different perspective. And I said, I can't do that anymore. You can always find a way to be able to make the Bible think, say what you think it says. Especially when you have a pair of scissors or you know, an extra marker or something to cut things out and add things in. But I eventually just said, I, I'm, I'm done with trying to answer the question. I'm just going to read the Bible and let the Bible answer it for me. Not just one verse, but the whole Bible. What's the Bible say about how God is sovereign? Let the Bible do the talking. Now, I think there's important verses that come about as you study that topic. If you were wrestling with this, I would open to certain verses that would help us understand that. But one of the main arguments, the main purposes that really made me understand this this question was, what about prayer? What is prayer? If God is not sovereign, why do we pray to him? If he's not sovereign to be able to work in people's hearts, to be able to draw them unto himself, why pray at all? Even the person who has the most um, anti-God sovereignty view would pray for someone's salvation. And the answer was that we pray because God is sovereign. He is able to answer our prayers. This verse actually says more, more accurately that the Lord not ordained, commanded. That the Lord commanded to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. But you even notice in this passage, it's more than just the Lord's sovereignty over this one situation. You notice how David prayed that that the counsel of Ahithophel would be turned into foolishness. But that's not why this happens. The verse doesn't say in verse 14 that the Lord had commanded, the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to be able to answer David's prayer. But it tells us the Lord ordained this that he might bring harm on Absalom. So here's David's prayer saying, make his counsel as foolishness. But then the Lord is is making his counsel as foolishness, not to be able to just answer David's prayer, but to serve his purpose of being able to bring harm on Absalom. And ultimately, when I started asking these questions about sovereignty and things like this, ultimately my head just started to hurt. If this person does this thing, 
And this person does this thing, and that has the effect of this. What happened if, you know, my, my mother didn't, wasn't saved, didn't become saved? Then how would I have become saved? And what happens if the person who led my Lord, mother to Lord hadn't become saved? What about them? Like, you just go back ten steps, and then you've got this big unraveling thing. How then do we know what election means, predestination means? There's just so many layers to, to understand the sovereignty of God. If you've got all these answers to be able to try and understand that, then why not just believe that God is sovereign in the first place? That all of this goes back to even chapter 12, where Nathan tells David that what his son would do to his concubines. And then in chapter 15, David prays that the counsel of Ahithophel would be seen as foolishness. David then sends Hushai. Ahithophel gives good counsel. Everyone thinks it's a great plan. Absalom even then asks Hushai. What, what would drive Absalom to be able to ask that question? If there's anyone you're going to be suspicious about in this circle, would it not be Hushai, who's referred to as a friend? Absalom sees it clearly. Several times in verse 17. Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? He asks that question in verse 6. And Hushai answers, and everyone's convinced. But the author explains why everyone is convinced. We might be convinced of these arguments about who is better at war and what happens. But ultimately, the author of this says that the Lord commanded. And more than that, not just to answer the, the, um, the prayer that David prayed, but also to be able to serve God's purposes. Now, if that doesn't make your head hurt, I don't know what would. That ultimately it's God's sovereign plan that goes throughout all this. What does Ahitavel do? Who is proud of his vice, advice, known by all for his good advice and counsel. In verse 23, we find out the end of Ahitavel. Ahitavel saw that his counsel was not followed saddled his donkey, and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Even here, I think you see this connection to the gospel. The reason I make this connection is because Matthew makes this connection. Matthew in chapter 27 Verse 5 says, Now throwing down the pieces of silver, speaking of Judas, in, into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. This Greek word only appears twice in the Bible. The Greek translation, the Septuagint, in Second Samuel, verse 17, verse 23, and Matthew, verse 27, verse 5. And I do believe Matthew is making an allusion, although vaguely, of Ahithophel to Judas. Let's think about it for a moment. 
Ahithophel is close to David, serving in some official capacity. He goes and betrays David. In the end, he finds no fulfillment in what he is known for. And then he goes and hangs himself. Judas, a close disciple of Jesus, he served in official capacity as treasurer. He stole from the treasury. He betrayed Jesus. In the end, he finds no fulfillment in the money he wished and desired. What did he seek as he was treasurer to seek money for himself? But he finds no fulfillment in this. In the end, he goes and hangs himself. Both Ahithophel and Judas are driven by their own passions and their motives. But God used both of them to accomplish his greater plans and his purposes. In the end, God does not crush David, but he crushes his own son. That this is an amazing thing to be able to see. How does God answer prayer? Well, he answers it just without us really even knowing sometimes. Through ordinary means. But also even before that, that even the prayers we pray serve God's sovereign plan and purposes to be able to accomplish what he had ordained already to be able to take place. Even the prayers we pray are means in which God answers his own um, sovereign purposes for those to be able to take place. Think about Hezekiah. Hezekiah's life is ten years longer. What God ordained Hezekiah to pray, then his life was exactly as God had already ordained it to be. But again, our heads begin to hurt But this is why we can come to a passage like Acts 4.27 and verse 28. That we see God's sovereign hand and work even in the death of his son. For truly in this city there were gathered together against you your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Here they're praying to God. And you see the the hands and the works of Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, but all of it had a different purpose than what they intended to do. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That was the death of his own son on a cross to crush him for our sins. Are you not glad for God's sovereignty? That we see God's hand at work in answering our prayers and even answering our prayers more than we could ever think about answering. Maybe the prayers we don't want to pray, but God uses our prayers anyway. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.